the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, what is healthier for kids in terms of messaging, equity or agency? We'll talk to author Ian Rowe next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. I have long been concerned about a message that a lot of young people have been getting and continue to get in school and elsewhere, but particularly in school. Young people, particularly young brown and black kids, are told that the system is rigged against them having success, and the only way to fix that is by tearing down the system, that they don't really have any individual power to advance their lives beyond some of these barriers that are put up for them by the system. Well, I am so happy to see a book kind of just attacking this whole topic. It's called Agency. Ian Rowe is the author. The book is doing great. Ian, I really am so glad you could join us. Thank you. Michelle, it's so great uh, to be here. Thank you. And thank you for uh, speaking about my book, Agency. I share that same concern about kids getting a narrative that tells them all the things that they can't do. All right. That that's that's what it is. T- telling them what they can't do rather than showing them perfect examples of what they can do. I would take your life story as a bit of a can-do story. <laughs> Why don't you walk us through just the, you know, a nutshell version of how you got to be where you are today? Wow. Well, once again, thank you for having me on and you know, my origin story, I think, is like, uh, for most people, it starts with your own family. And I was very blessed to have two Jamaican parents um, who were married for 48 years uh, before my dad passed away. And, and they came from Jamaica uh, to live the American dream. You know, uh, first they moved to London, and then my dad became one of the first uh, black engineers at IBM. And my mom got a job on Wall Street. This was in the 60s. And, you know, so they came to the country when there was a lot of racial strife. There was a lot of turmoil. Um, And so they knew what they were getting themselves into. There was no there was no, you know, hiding the racial strife that existed in the country. But they also knew the country was changing. You know, there was the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. And so they knew that opportunity was here and that this country with the right ingredients, you can do great things. And they, that's what they believed. And so they always instilled in, the, in that in, in us, that um, America is a good, 
if not great country, that it certainly has its flaws, but it's this constantly sort of regenerative nation and that you're not just a passive player and that you will face barriers, you will face obstacles, not only because of your skin color, just because guess what? Life <laughs> is hard <laughs> for everybody, yeah. right? And so the question is, are you gonna be prepared when those opportunities come your way? And so, you know, we, we first moved to Brooklyn when we came to the United States and we moved on up to Queens, if you remember the old show, The Jeffersons. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, I'll share a quick story that I think was really sort of illustrative, not only of what happened to me early in my life, but it's influenced my thinking. And um, it's when we first moved to Queens, we moved to a small town, Laurelton, Queens. And I go through this in, in my book, Agency. Yeah. But Laurelton was a you know, predominantly white, um, Jewish, Italian, uh, relatively middle class uh, neighborhood in Queens. But it was slowly becoming very racially mixed. More black people were moving in. And unfortunately, there were, wide, there were a number of racial incidents, particularly in my junior high school. That was kind of the epicenter, junior high school 231. And in their wisdom, the school board decided to solve this problem. They were going to create another junior high school, an annex in Rosedale, which is a, predominant, a more permanently predominantly white town several miles over. And so what happened was all the white school, all the white parents in my junior high school took their kids out and sent them to this annex uh, in Rosedale, leaving junior high school 231 is basically a segregated all black school. And so my parents, you know, who had come to the United States to live the American dream on the assumption that where the white kids go, that's where there's going to be a better education. They were going to send me there as well. And, you know, it's like one of these epiphany moments when the, the Sunday night before the transfer papers had to go, I literally, my dad was in his recliner, my mom was on the sofa and I just begged my parents to stay because I just felt, why should the school be worse simply because a group of white students had left? It was still a great school. I still loved my teachers and my parents didn't want, they didn't want to, they, they said, no, no, no. I mean, this, your education is going to be better. And it was the first time I had challenged my parents on anything, but it just felt, and I, you know, now I know that that feeling that I had at that moment was my own sense of developing agency, that I felt this strong sense that I wanted to control my destiny. I, I, had, I had a stake in the ground and I begged my parents and they cried and they relented and they let me stay. And it was, it was one of these first moments that I know everything that I've ever done since that point, you know, it doesn't matter what the makeup of an institution is, you can still have the highest of expectations that Diversity is amazing, but if you have a situation where all kids are, are a certain background, that shouldn't diminish what you believe is possible within that group. And, um, and yeah, so, I mean, there was no doubt that that experience when I was, whatever, 12 years old, um, changed the way that I thought about what was possible. And really, it was my parents choosing to do something that they did not want to do, but I helped them you know, help me by, cause now I had, a, I had, um, I was on the hook, you know, yeah. I had, I had convinced them. So I had an even greater level of responsibility. Well, and you said that part of your bargaining chip was, 
I promise I'll work even harder in school if you let me stay here. So yes. that you had to do that too. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's this whole idea of agency that once you commit, like you're in, like I'm leaning in, like I'm not just some passive player waiting for someone else to solve my problem. And I just think that's really important because a lot of times when you hear this narrative, not only are you the current narrative, not only are kids hearing all the things that they can't do, very rarely is someone asking anything of young people, hmm. right? You've got to have reciprocity. So when you have expectations, kids need to know that they are active players in their own development and their right. own life. And so, yeah, so when I told my parents, so not only am I saying, you know, please let me stay, but no, I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling this, you know, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm in, I'm in, I'll work hard. I will make you not regret your decision. And I think there's a piece of that, that every young person has to own that. Like, I got this, you have your, you know, I run schools for a living. And one of the first things we do at the beginning of the year is we have home visits where we sit with the parent. Like, so the, the, the principal, the teacher, we go to the home of our students and we have this like mini contract you know, around our four core values. And here it says, you know, this is the parent. This is my job. I'm going to ensure that, you know, my kid gets to school on time, gets food at night. And this is what the kid's responsibility is, what the teacher's responsibility. And we all sign it. But the whole idea is that you've got skin in the game. Right. And so we always want to create that opportunity for young people to say, yes, you're not alone, but you're critical to your own success. Th there it is. You are critical to your own success. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So from the genesis of your, you know, agency at, at the ripe old age of 12, uh, you've moved <laughs> along so many fascinating directions in your life. Quick break. And then back with Ian Rowe about how he defines agency and how kids can find their own. I love summer because we get to grill and my husband's really good at it. I'm terrible. Thank God I married him. Uh, if you want the perfect cuts of meat on the grill, you've got one place to go. Good ranchers. It's the place to get American beef, chicken, and seafood this summer. They sell 100% American meat and ship it straight to your door. And right now they're giving away two free 18-ounce prime center-cut ribeyes to every person who uses my code TAFOYA, T-A-F-O-Y-A. That's over two pounds of prime ribeye steaks just added to your order at no cost to you. Yeah, you're welcome. With Father's Day coming up and all the summer events you've got planned, this is the perfect time 
to try a box of good ranchers. Your father, grandfather, husband, father-in-law, brother-in-law, brother. Everybody needs these ribeyes, right? You can make a one-time purchase or subscribe and save $25 on every box. Plus, like I said earlier, you'll get those two free 18-ounce boneless ribeyes. These things are so good, they're restaurant quality. Other places would charge you well over 50, even 60 bucks a steak to get ribeyes like these, but Good Ranchers is giving them to you for free when you go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya. They're out of their ranch and mines. This is not the time to wait. Claim your ribeyes today before they run out because this is a limited stock item. First come, first serve. You want to be first when it comes to Good Ranchers. They deliver the best of American farms and ranches to your door. Make sure you take time today, right now, Go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya or use my code Tafoya at checkout, T-A-F-O-Y-A, to get your two free 18-ounce ribeyes. Start the summer off right with Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Back with Ian Rowe, who's written the book Agency, which is, I, I can't recommend this enough to people, Agency. Simple as that. But one of the th- the paragraphs that caught me in the book was that the root of the word agency. And if you look at words like agitate and agile, um, it, it's that root, that AG, just what, how do you define agency, Ian? Yeah, no, looking at, looking at roots is really interesting. No, no, it's AG is all around to do like AG and the ENT is the, the object of the action. So you are taking action to achieve an outcome. So agency, that is the root of the word. But the reason I actually even came to it, and you mentioned it at the beginning, let's start with what is the narrative that young people are hearing in our country? Because there's a lot of doubt now about the American dream, you know, whether or not it's still even possible for young people. And what's really amazing is that we're living at a time of incredible innovation. I mean, just last week, the New York Times had this story about this young woman who was, who was um, born with a, a deformed ear. And these doctors were able to figure out a way to use a 3D printer to take her DNA cells, literally use a 3D printer to replicate these cells to generate an ear equivalent to her right ear and equipped it on the left. And now she has two ears that are completely functioning, that are aesthetically beautiful. And yet, and, and this is just the tip of the iceberg of all the possibilities and yet, there amongst young people, there's this self-doubt, there's high levels of isolation, loneliness, um, you know, just, just not feeling comfortable. The Archbridge Institute did a study, only 39% of, of 15 to 24-year-olds feel that they could lead a meaningful life, that they have agency, which is almost half of what the generations above them feel about their own lives. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this question. What is holding young people back from believing that they can lead a life of their own choosing? And so I've come to this idea that there are these two meta narratives. One you briefly described, which I call blame the system, and the other I call blame the victim. The blame the system narrative goes like this. Like if you're not achieving the American dream, you know why? It's because America itself is the problem. Like America is this racist nation that based on your skin color or your, your gender, you're going to be oppressed or yeah. you're the oppressor. You know, there's a white supremacist lurking on every corner. 
capitalism itself is evil. It's just that there are these forces, just as you just said, the system is so rigged, so discriminatory that you are powerless, that you've got no ability to chart your own destiny unless some massive government intervention comes in. But on the flip side, there's something called what I call blame the victim. So in that scenario, if you're not successful, it's not America's a problem. America's a land of opportunity. You're the problem. You haven't pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're the architect of your own failure. You've done something to not take advantage of these opportunities. And of course, the problem with that narrative is that it ignores the challenges that many young people face if they don't have supports of strong family, faith commitment, strong educational choice. So these two meta narratives, to me, add up to a singular lie Hmm. that is robbing young people of agency. And I've been presenting on a whole bunch of college campuses that I was at a law school. And after I presented these two meta narratives, this law student says, yeah, I hear you. I agree with you. But if I can't blame the victim and I can't blame the system, then who do I blame? <laughs> and it was, just, it, was just, it was this amazing question because for him, he needs a culprit. He's trying to figure out what's wrong with America. Right. And so I realized that young people need a framework to understand what works about America and what what institutions they can embrace to be successful. And so that is how I came to this idea of agency, where agency I define as the force of your free will guided by moral discernment, the force of your free will guided by moral discernment. So think of agency like a vector or velocity, where velocity is not just speed, it's speed and direction. So the question is, if each one of us has free will, the ability to make decisions, where does the ability to become morally discerning come from? How do you learn that? And that's my framework free, family, religion, education and entrepreneurship and i can go through each one but these are the four pillars that in my view if more young people were to embrace they'd have a much greater likelihood of leading the life that they want just could you repeat those four because i want to this is important fam go ahead family religion family family religion education and entrepreneurship and here's what i think is so frustrating for me First of all, I was so happy to read about these two opposing sort of lies that you ought to just be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because I've long believed that. I felt like that's what I always did. But then I took for granted the fact that I came from a family with two parents. They were really focused on education. You know, yeah. they pay, they saved to put me through college. I, I was raised in, at a church. You know, I, I took that all for granted. It's and, very, and just, it's very easy to forget that. Yeah. Yes, but but now with those four pillars you mentioned, I feel like there's a, an attack on the family, yeah, on religion, yes. on education. Yes. I don't know about entrepreneurship yet, but it seems to me that even in some of the communities that desperately need their families, it seems like families aren't valued. What is happening there? Why is this yeah. happening? It is, it is It is. amazing. And by the way, there is a disconnect between the people who seem to be doing the attacking of institutions around family and faith versus the very people living in communities. Right. So, you know, I you know, we we um, 
there's uh, there's some data. Um, um, well, let me tell you another very quick story. When I was yeah. running our public charter schools, um, we had a huge demand. We had 2,000 students in our schools, but we had nearly 5,000 families on our wait list. Wow. Um, and just, you know, and primarily low-income Black and Hispanic families that wanted their shot at the American dream. And so we decided we had to grow. We had to open more schools, especially in the South Bronx, because the choice of schools is extremely limited. And we decided to uh, move our headquarters from Manhattan to the South Bronx, which created some stress for our um, team members. So we decided to take a walking tour to get to know the neighborhood. Where's the local bodega? Where's the local bank? Um, and as we as a team were walking on this walking tour, we saw in the distance this 27-foot baby blue Winnebago truck with all these adults around it, very excited. And on the, si on the l side of the truck in graffiti lettering were the words, who's your daddy? Like, what is that? Well, it turned out that the who's your daddy truck is a mobile DNA testing center where low-income folks were spending somewhere between $350 to $500 to answer questions like, could you be my sister? Are you my father? Very deep questions around identity. And for me, it was a real realization that while our schools were focused on math and reading and science, all those important things, we also needed to help our kids think about their future decisions around family. Because the we discovered the non-marital birth rate in our communities were about 85%. And so we came across this data just to get, I'm going to get to your point about family and the uh, people wanting, attacking the institution. We discovered this data, which shows that if a young person just finishes their high school degree, gets a full-time job of any kind, just so they learn the dignity and discipline of work. And if they have children, marriage first, 97% of people who follow that series of decisions avoid poverty. So we said, wow, this is incredibly important information that young people should know yeah. so that when they're making decisions about relationships, their work, the timing of family formation, they'll know what gives them the greatest likelihood of success. Right. Well, we started to try and teach that in our school. We had huge pushback. People said, no, 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 you can't teach that. That's, you're, you're imposing your middle class values um, uh, you know, onto people that, you know, maybe they didn't follow this series of decisions. So you don't want to embarrass them. And so it just became this. So it, it really was shocking. But when we spoke to the parents of the eighth graders, not not the the teachers or administrators who were the ones that were pushing back, when we talked to the parents of eighth graders and we said, we're considering teaching this, they said, thank you. God, someone wants to teach this to my children because I wish someone had taught me this when I was much younger. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great realization that there are these people who seem to want to deprive young people about the importance of these institutions, starting with family. But we got to get rid of these gatekeepers because they're the ones who claim to represent the interests of low-income folks. And in fact, they do not. And what's really hypocritical is that they're the ones that are getting married, staying married, like they're doing the things that keep them successful, but they're not preaching what they practice in their own lives. 
It's amazing to me. And it, it, it somehow in, in my mind, it came up Loudoun County that families have different viewpoints of what they want their kids to learn yep. than some of these institutions or teachers or teachers unions or whatever yep. school boards do. And it's become so fascinating to watch these families become much more involved in the curriculum, for lack of a better, you know. And it's good. It's a good it thing. Is, I think it is a good thing. Um, it's so interesting to me that you had such different reactions from the two parties. I, I mean, I don't understand why they're not coming together more. Or is that starting to happen, do you think? Well, we'll see. I mean, look, even in my own hometown, I live in, you know, right outside of New York, I saw things, you know, during the COVID era where we're all sort of leaning over our kids' Uh, Zoom, and I started to see things that I was concerned about. There was an equity audit that was done in our town, which, in my view, unfairly um, painted the entire town as as you know racially discriminatory. And there were there were some serious flaws with this document. And I I started talking to more of my neighbors, and I ultimately decided to run for school board in my own hometown, and I won. And mm-hmm. so I I think there's a lot of interest across the country. For can we get back to strong academics? You know, you know, we're a country that's still only 37, 38% of all kids in our country are reading at grade level. I and I think there's been a concern that parents have been locked out on a whole bunch of issues, right? I mean, there are situations where kids are being called by different names and different pronouns in schools and their parents have no idea. Yeah. And yeah. it's just... You know, so parents are just starting to get fed up. Are people coming together? We'll see. Um, But there still seems to be a a strong, more progressive ideology that seems to be that the schools are in charge of your kids. Like, and a lot of parents are, I think, starting to say, hold on, schools are obviously important, but they're my kids. Right. Absolutely. It's it. It does seem like we're at a tipping point. At least I hope we are. Ian Rowe is our guest. His book, Agency, is truly important. You know, it it just once in a while you read something and you think, could everyone just read this, please? And and maybe we can have an honest discussion about this. More with Ian in just a moment. Folks, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted, but gold has been on the rise. Gas prices are ridiculous. The stock market is extremely volatile. Inflation is even worse than it was a year ago. And now we have this war between Russia and Ukraine that could spread. We hope not. The markets do not like instability. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust for investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and protect your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there is still time. Do you remember that year of 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options for investing in gold and silver. This is a smart move right now, really anytime, but in particular right now. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903. Just ask them your questions or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. 
Com. Back with Ian Rowe, author of Agency. We're talking about agency and your four pillars of agency, which are family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship. We talked about how family is being attacked by some people. Um, religion seems to have been under attack as well for a long time. And, and and people seem to make fun of 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 some people who are, are are deep in their faith. I had a guest recently, Tony Dungy, you know, the Hall of mm, Fame head yes. coach, and he is very much in favor of and has always practiced what he preaches about fatherhood, about having a dad in the home, because that's what yes. he believes. His faith has taught him that that is an important structure, that family structure. Um, but again, it's based in his faith, and that seems to get ridiculed. And I'm just yeah. wondering what you think the future of religion is in, in, in the country. And, and obviously you think it plays an important role. No, no, we, we, we have to strengthen um, uh, this idea that more and more people need to see the benefit of having a personal faith commitment in their own lives. I mean, many of us have read these ter terrible stories over the last few months, years about these mass shootings and you see this there's senseless violence yeah but oftentimes when you look at the profile of oftentimes very young men lonely um usually in an unstable family often lack of a faith commitment and you can't tie one thing to the other but the challenges of isolation the fact that religious um affiliation what's called none the nuns exactly the highest growing category amongst young people, meaning more and more young people have no religious affiliation. That is a crisis for our country because after having a strong family, having a strong faith commitment and being part of a community with strong moral values and guidance and character is one of the anchors of leading a flourishing life. What's really interesting about freedom, freedom is not you, you can now do whatever you want to do. Right. Freedom actually is is free will, but within a certain moral order, a sort of ordered liberty. And religious institutions can do that. And yes, we've had some failures of religious institutions. You have to acknowledge that. But that shouldn't undermine what it can provide to a young person um, in terms of a, a community of people that love you, that care for you a set of moral codes mm -hmm. that you can live behind. So I talk about this in agency, not only the power of a personal faith commitment, but also about the power of religious institutions becoming more involved in running schools. I mean, what's if you've noticed over the last two years, Catholic schools have had a dramatically high increase in yeah. enrollment. Yes. Partly, partly because they stayed open and they, yeah. they had a lot of in-person instruction but also because they were anchored in core values. Mm -hmm. They weren't running down critical race theory and anti-racism and trying to push down these ideologies where suddenly parents were saying, wait a minute, you're saying because my kid is white, he's inherently an oppressor, or because right. my kid is black, he's inherently oppressed? Like, right. where did that come from? Right. And so more and more parents are exercising their right to go to schools that are anchored in core values. And I think religious institutions can have a leg up in that whole area. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I saw that as well. Uh, 
certainly because, like you said, schools stayed open during the pandemic. The parochial schools did, the Catholic schools around, and boom, this flock of people just <laughs> went and said, I want my kid in school, you know, not in front of a Zoom uh, right. You know, link. And so it's been in school and rigorous academics, not yeah. social ideology. Well, there, that's the other part we, we need to address. And, and it's it's this notion of the you mentioned it, the CRT. And now we've got it, it, the gender stuff that look, any time you criticize that you're either considered a racist or a homophobe. I, I know myself to be neither. I right. just don't want them so emphasized in school that my kids are exposed to stuff that I'm not even really worried Ian about them being exposed to it, but the emphasis on it seems to me to be too much. It it seems to be the, the, the only way we look at life. We are a country where only 37, 38% of all kids are reading at grade level. We've got some things to focus on. Yeah. We do. And um, and so er- all the time we spend on these distractions is time away from building up our capacity of young people to compete on a global level. And, um, you know, it's interesting what you just said, you know, if you even deem to say anything, you'll be called all these, you know, you'll be called racist or transphobe or whatever. And what I found, you know, Glenn Lowry, one of my you know idols, often says, you know what, these people, it's a big bluff. They're daring you to say, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right to me. They're counting on you to silence yourself. And what I've realized, don't let them. You have to exercise your own agency. When you hear ideas that you know are wrong or at least worthy of discussion before you're just going to have it pushed down your throat, don't accept it. They're counting on you to suppress your courage correct we is we right now are at a moment in our country we need courage we need courage to say obvious things and this is why i've written agency i run schools because i want my students to know that they can do hard things even in the face of barriers because life is hard but you have pathways of success family religion education entrepreneurship are the four pillars that can help get you there. I so appreciate the message about courage, Ian, because it's 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 what's really lacking right now. And yes. and I and I think people want to use it, but <laughs> how funny is this? They want to use their courage, but they're afraid to. You I know, know, I mean, <laughs> it's so it's almost laughable, which is why I'm laughing. But I've had friends say to me, "I can't repost this on." Facebook because I'll get crushed. You know, I, the, the comeback, I mean, and it's sort of like, you want to just say to them, look, the people who are crushing you, are they your friends? Right. Do they know your heart? Why do you give them this much control over your personal beliefs and your sense of security? I'm yeah. afraid of being canceled. You know, I don't want to be canceled. It, it this is the time for collective courage. More oh, In yeah. my lifetime, I've never seen it uh, more important. There's a great um, scene in the movie Top Gun Maverick where <laughs> there's this impossible mission that's yeah. been laid out where they've got to fly over a mountain through this ravine at like 10 feet above the ground yeah. and no one believes it's possible. And then suddenly Tom Cruise, you know, not, not to be a spoiler, 
does the maneuver and proves to everyone it's possible. Right. And I feel that's the role you, Michelle, me, Ian Rowe, others around the country, we've got to show what's possible, like by putting ourselves on the line. Like I have great respect for you because you're putting yourself on the line, even in shifting the way that you are now interacting and taking your platform and using it in a different way to talk about these issues. There is such fear of being canceled, of being ostracized, but that completely sheds away when other people see like, wait a minute, that person stood up, they made sense. And so I'm going to do that. I'm, I can yeah. do that. Yeah. That's why you see more and more people even running for school boards. Because mm-hmm. like, for example, when I ran for school board last year, gosh, it was, it, there were a lot of attacks, but I stayed, you know, with quality of opportunity, individual dignity, our common humanity. Those are the things I talked about that I wanted our school system should be built around. And you know what? This year when people ran, they were like-minded people. They won. You know, so I think courage is infectious. I, I agree. I You know where else we're seeing it? We're seeing it on the comedy circuit. Guys like Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais are saying, enough. enough. I, I'm not going to apologize for being funny, for trying to have a good time, for <laughs> laughing at ourselves. Stop right. this. And you're seeing this sort of effect of people really needed to hear that from somebody else to have the courage to do it themselves. Well, uh, it, yeah, uh, and 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 that's another reason that I love this book. It's it, it's again agency. It's it's teaching people how to embrace. I, I'm my mind is all over the place right now because this is this is so important to me. But I see a lot of parents wanting to protect their kids from all the hurdles in life, instead of saying, "See that hurdle? You can clear that. Right. Go take your leap." we got you. And if you fall, you're going to learn from that. And then it'll help you with the next one. You know, what's so interesting, you know, because all every parent wants that for their own kid, they want to know that they can handle struggle and be able to, you know, solve it and overcome it. And yet there's this other, you know, there's this big idea now around equity, right? That's that's really pushing. It used to be that we as Americans, equality of opportunity for individuals was our anchor. Because you can't guarantee outcomes, but equality of op- everyone's got an equal shot. But now there's been this slow erosion of equality of opportunity and this replacement of equity by group. Mm-hmm. So now all the white kids have to equal black kids. And suddenly, like, wait, what? You're, you're, and, and the thinking behind these things, like, for example, the governor in Oregon just said, you know, in order to help the kids of color in our state, we're going to remove the requirement that you've got to be able to demonstrate proficiency in math and reading in order to graduate from high school. So those those hurdles that you're talking about, let's just get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's just remove them. That that's what's helping our kids. It's madness. It is madness because what you're saying is we don't believe you can clear those hurdles and so we're just going to take them away and what's what's the result? The lowering of stand this is the soft bigotry of low expectations yes. that has been talked about for so long. Yes. And it's infuriating to me that people don't see it that way. That they well, just that they just ahead. they feel like, "Oh no, I want to be empathetic." It's it's No, it's, you're actually being the opposite of yes. empathetic. You're being the opposite. What you're actually doing when you lower standards or eliminate standards, you are robbing the ability to achieve a dignity and excellence. Yeah. That's yeah. what young people want. 
we don't want, I mean, the students in my schools, the parents, my students, they don't want to get to a certain position and then have a whole bunch of doubt as to whether or not they earned their way there. Right. Right. I mean, you, you covered professional sports for a long time. Like athletes have to earn their way. And once they're, they have a level of confidence, which allows their ability to then compete at an even higher level. Right. Because they know that they've gone through those hurdles. They've demonstrated it at prior levels of performance. We can achieve that with young people today, but we have to let them know that there are these narratives out there. They're going to be telling them everything they can't do. We have to tell them what they can do. And here are the pillars that get them there. I could talk to you for hours, and I love to have you back and drill down on some of this stuff, particularly on on, on the, the schools that, that you are involved with. It's so inspiring to me to know that people are actually giving the kind of time and effort to these. Uh, it's It's heartening because until we see it, we don't know what's going on. And I'm so glad it's going on. And uh, I congratulate you on the book. Again, it's Agency. It's so worth the read, folks. Please take some time to look at it because it's it's tremendous. Ian Rowe, hope to have you back. Thank you so much. Oh, Michelle, thank you. And thank you for being the tip of the spear, too. We got to show people what's possible and that we can overcome these challenges together. You yep. don't have to be fearful. Have courage. Have agency. Courage. Agency. Amen to that. This has been Amen. Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Thanks for watching. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.